Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. SDG Talks community, what's going on? Today, you're going to hear from a fellow friend, mentor, advisor, George Brigandi. George is a partnership and development manager at Current, which is a consortium incubator of all things water tech here in Chicago. George is also a fellow adjunct professor at DePaul University. And within his time at Current, we're going to hear about the H2 Now program, which is like a weather app for water quality and how that can be applied and scaled to other parts of the world looking to monitor water quality. And in this conversation, we're just going to talk openly about what is sustainability. How can we actually approach developing new opportunities in this blue economy and what can businesses do and how can they explore out-competing their competition through sustainability? George is a wealth of knowledge around all things CSR, ESG, and overall is just a great human. I really enjoyed this podcast, spending time with George, and I know you're going to enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed creating it. And as always, keep on SDG talking. All right, welcome back to the SDG Talks podcast. I'm sitting here downtown Chicago at the DePaul Loop campus in the Graduate School Lounge alongside George Brigandi. George, how you doing? How the heck are you, my friend? I'm doing well. It's good to be down here at DePaul, back in the flesh, and just like seeing people and hanging out here in the lounge. My good old DePaul colleague, fellow alum, water advocate, I love it. That's right. We do have quite a bit in common, which we I do. appreciate. That's big, right. big 10 alum. When I first saw you on LinkedIn, I was like, <laughs> I need to be friends with this guy. So we have a lot of overlap with some of the work we do with yeah. water and innovation. But to give everyone a little an idea of who you are, like from a 30,000 foot view, who is George Brigandi? And, and tell me your current role and your title right now. Sure. So I guess in a nutshell, I would call myself a sustainability marketer. I started the first five years of my career in general account roles in the marketing world at different companies like Kellogg's, Beam Suntory. And about five years in, I had a uh, moment of self-reflection and I realized that I enjoyed convincing people to drink booze, but I didn't love it. And I was just, you know, living my life. And I started to hear this word sustainability. The uh, UN Paris Climate Accord was taking place, and it was just this buzzword I kept hearing over and over again. And until that point in time, I had always cared about people, about the environment, but I frankly didn't know how I could conduct a career that was conducive to basically benefiting both and, you know, for profit. I'm a capitalist at the end of the day. And so I, I just did my research and I, I figured out that you know, I could utilize the skill sets that I had accumulated to that point in time, which were marketing and business development and partnership relationships to work in sustainability. I knew immediately I did not want to be somebody who had to become lead certified or be particularly focused on engineering or another scientific area. I wanted to utilize my business skill set to help businesses tell their stories, help grow sustainable products, services, and so forth. So with that said, though, I definitely was only focused on the marketing sales side, and I knew I needed to become a more holistic business person. So I went back to graduate school at DePaul, where we are, and I got my MBA in sustainable management and entrepreneurship. And long story short, the last six years, I've primarily been working in the water sector for two 
Chicago-based water startups, first Urban Rivers for just under three years. They are a really cool organization building the Wild Mile, which is a mile-long piece of green infrastructure or the world's first mile-long floating eco-park in the Chicago River. And my current role, where I've been for just shy of three years, is the Partnership and Development Manager at Currents, which is Chicago's Water Innovation Hub. We are trying to do three primary things. Further innovation in the water sector, which as many of you listening, especially if you're in the U.S., is far behind where it needs to be. That is typically compared to the energy sector, which is obviously not meeting the demands of today from a renewable energy standpoint. And a lot of uh, people in the water sector will say we're about 10 years behind where we need to be in that regard. We're trying to grow the blue economy. So basically water affiliated industry or, or, or businesses in general. And uh, actually right now we've re- recently received some federal funding to actually define what the heck the blue economy means to our region. It's typically associated with the oceans or can be frankly quite ambiguous and all-encompassing. Obviously a business like DePaul could technically be considered a water company because they have a water footprint. But at the end of the day, that's really not what we're talking about, right? So that those are the first two. And then uh, finally, with the third is address pressing water challenges. And we do that through a multitude of different ways with a primary focus on our region, Chicago, Illinois, acknowledging that a lot of the problems we're facing are pretty relevant elsewhere. And so how can we uh, utilize the assets of Chicago as a test bed, if you will, like the Chicago River, which we'll, I'm sure, get into here shortly, and then see if there are export or even import opportunities to address different problems in different areas of water, which is pretty darn broad. Well, no shortage of water things going on, and I appreciate that. (laughs) There's not many people that I know that are dabbling, pun intended, of all sorts of of water activities. Uh Um, But before we dive more into that, you touched on the term sustainability, yep. and I think in a lot of ways, it's a very, it's a big buzzword right now, but it's a little bit ambiguous. Yeah. Um, so I would love for you to tell me what does sustainability mean? It may be a, a generic term or just like in layman's term, like what does sustainability in its simplest form mean to you? Gosh, you're right. It means different things to different people. There's a lot of companies out there to this day that are still trying to figure out what the heck it means to them, their business model, their mission. I don't know. I think I honestly, the the model or the term I like to reflect on the most is the triple bottom line model, which is basically creating long-term profitability through environmentally and socially responsible business practices. Because at the end of the day, I agree and I align a lot with a lot of the advocacy going out there, the Greta Thunbergs of the world. But frankly, if we look at the US, if we look at other countries, money talks. And I think we really need to revolutionize our markets and the way we sell and buy goods if we're going to create real and lasting and significant change and fast to address a lot of these problems. So I think we need to figure out how the heck you make sustainable solutions profitable. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, I think it's just going to continue on this embarrassingly slow trajectory. Yeah. One thing that I, I often think about when people ask about sustainability, one thing I say is that's very simple is giving more than you take. Mm. Uh, sometimes, I mean, there are the triple bottom line, I agree from the top level business strategy is good, but it's kind of on an individual basis or just being a good person basis, just trying to leave the place that you were cleaner than you found it mm-hmm. or trying to build systems that don't 
take more from the ground or take more from wherever you're obtaining the resources or working than was there before. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of a simplistic way to look at it. No, I mean, that's fair. Well, I, the, the most recent definition I've been seeing in like the academic area is what ensuring that what you do or how you operate isn't damaging the future, I guess, like the chances of future generations, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, it's completely fair because what's been done to this point is really setting up our young people, our future generations for a real treacherous path. And on that note of like not taking too much, I mean, I, you look at um, that one, uh, the, the, the fishing documentary came out. Oh, uh, Seaspiracy. I just watched that the other week, actually, for the first time, a so year late. Controversial <laughs> in a lot of ways, but I think it was in that way, it almost went, I hear, too far because when you talk to different indigenous populations or even oh, some fishermen, mm-hmm. you can fish sustainably. You can harvest from the earth sustainably. Mm-hmm. But every ecosystem and every population has some type of carrying capacity where if you go past a certain point, yeah. there is this thing called uh, species to, uh, species extinction or, yeah. or different things where all of a sudden the ecosystem gets unbalanced and you yeah. get the apex predator that is eliminated. So I think it's, it is continuing to look at that balance between how humans are living and how, what we need to live, what are our wants and needs and looking at the pyramid of needs mm-hmm. and then balancing that with what the world can actually give us. And then going into the dynamic of, okay, capitalism, mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we grow business? And I unfortunately think we do live in certain, a lot of society, a lot of businesses in society live in the mindset that this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we can continue to do it. Making any substantial change is way too expensive for us to consider that, I got short-term shareholders and they respond to. Mm-hmm. So how do you, and I guess this is such a big question and obviously if you knew it, we would, <laughs> wouldn't be talking about this, but like, how do we change the culture to get businesses to more than just a PR stint, yeah. um, put being sustainable and, and, and actually making less money and not trying to grow 20% year over year, but maybe being okay with exponential like, growth. Yeah. Maybe being okay with just growing a couple percent or God forbid staying flat. And I know that sounds terrible, but like, it seems like exponential growth is what every business is expected to do. So maybe it's like, do we need to change the framework or is this a culture change or like, God damn, that's a real good question. <laughs> Long winded question, but I guess uh, that's all I mean, I guess I would say, yeah, it's going to take a, probably a lot of really bad things to happen for us to realize that exponential growth is frankly not feasible. I guess though, on the other hand, I would argue that sustainability can definitely be used and is, and is being utilized by a lot of companies as a competitive advantage to outcompete the lesser sustainable companies from continuing to grow or taking over more market share. And I mean, I guess you could look at it in a way where it's like, if companies start to operate more sustainably, they will become the market leaders and will be inherently doing good or doing better than before. And all while creating value in different ways from purely monetary, a purely monetary standpoint, like short-term shareholder profit, but, you know, ensuring that employees, the communities they work in, other stakeholder groups are treated well, are finding a, a lot of uh, enjoyment and pleasure and maybe health benefits from the work they're doing to environmental benefits and just decreasing their footprint or making it negative by a substantial amount. And then obviously creating a 
an entity that is generating value on a consistent basis and maybe ebbs and flows less and is more resistant to the outbreaks of unexpected pandemics or other supply chain issues that we're seeing now. I think there are a lot of benefits to making a company basically more circular in its operation that are business savvy. And it's obviously super dependent on the type of company it is and the sector it works in. But yeah, um, this continuous exponential growth is not frankly realistic. Mm. I guess you could say though that for smaller companies, it's probably more realistic because there's a lot more room to grow versus mm. the existing, you know, I don't know, Fortune 5. Yeah. But also like our population, right? We're on a current exponential growth there. The planet obviously has a finite limit for how many people and organisms in general it can supply. So yeah. I think there's going to be the Malthusian yeah. catastrophe quite a bit with, I think he, when Thomas Malthus initially thought the world's carrying capacity was, I don't know, four and a half million based on the amount of resources that we million, have. not billion, 4.5 4. billion, okay. <laughs> way off, 4.5 billion. But then of course, through green revolution and continued urbanization and just doing different things to extract as much as possible from the land. Yeah. Populations continue to grow. And you hear this number of 9 billion by 2050, mm-hmm. and you think we're already struggling to feed the world. Now we are dealing with all these challenges with rising sea levels, which is causing all different issues. Like, at what point does something give? And then further to that question, back to like, who is leading this change? Oftentimes I do think that governments will make these big blanket statements like COP26 just happened. And, yeah. and while there was some good movement, like if USA, China, Russia, and India don't really participate, it's like, okay, well, all these other benefits of Papua New Guinea or you know, Ghana don't really mean anything because they're so small. The bigger countries are using events like this as basically like a greenwashing opportunity to say, hey, we're doing a lot, psych. Yeah, we like sign a bunch of papers and like put some yeah. PR out. But so I do believe that corporations are one of the biggest opportunities to drive substantial change. Mm-hmm. And you brought up a good point through Outcompete. Uh, but I love the concept of carrots and sticks, of like how you incentivize or punish people, institutions that do stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know of any examples of any carrot or stick examples of how a business has been incentivized to change, you know, besides of course being driven by more revenue or, or, or cutting cost. So maybe something like a, um, a financial penalty or something yeah, like, like that. It's like taxes, or uh, tax breaks yeah. or, or fines, you know, maybe that is some of the more public policy type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like the idea of how we can incentivize businesses to be good. And, and granted, it's also like, well, who's providing these incentives? And this is why public-private partnerships and having a good government framework is so important. Because we need a good system to play by. But if there are no rules that are enforced, or if there's no incentive to get better, like, you know, we, before the Clean Water Act, there was no incentive to yeah. discharge clean water. It was like, look at the Cayuga River in Ohio. In Ohio. It was like, why would they care about cleaning the water before it got into the river. And like, of course the river lighting on fire changed a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an economist at the end of the day, but actually, so like, I guess to answer your question, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but you mentioned Seaspiracy and actually an idea they tossed around in it, which I don't know if I agree with, but I think is an enticing proposal was basically reducing or eliminating subsidies for factory fish farmers 
who basically scraped the bottom and it is, as they put it, the equivalent to slash and burn agriculture. Yeah, where it's, you, it's deep water trawling. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's that's the term I meant yeah. to say. And basically ensuring that they didn't get any government support, which is so essential to farmers like them, if you will. That could definitely incentivize more sustainable that's practices a, in industry. And that's a good sort of idea of advocacy that people can do where people often think, about, well, what, what can I do? It's, that's a good example of like, how you can get involved with writing letters, joining different organizations, and you know, creating your own podcast, or doing different things to raise awareness on that particular topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's so many different things like that that are being subsidized by the government that are actually creating net value negative impact. Yeah, yeah, um, that's well put. So all things sustainability, good chat on that. Yes. Uh, let's circle it back to current. You talked about some of these pillars of like the blue economy and, and addressing some of these pressing water challenges, but particularly with the pressing water challenge near and dear to our heart living in Chicago mm-hmm. um, is the Chicago River. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one that back in the day, I mean, one that's got an interesting story in that it was actually reversed to take a lot of the <laughs> Chicago waste and ship it down to Mississippi and put it down to St. Louis, who then puts it down the Mississippi River and just Shipping it down and not solving it, our real problem. Not solving the real problem. Um, I know a funny story was that St. Louis actually tried suing Chicago for sending our waste down to them, but I think they ultimately lost in court because St. Louis was also doing the same to their downstream neighbors. <laughs> the hypocrisy. Uh, yeah, but then I also said one time I was talking to a guy from St. Louis about like, oh, I hope you enjoy or joking like consuming Chicago's waste. And he's like, don't worry, we just clean it up and bottle it up in beer and send it back to you. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's actually... I haven't heard that one. That's pretty funny. It's, yeah, it's spot on. That's pretty funny. But so the Chicago River has improved a lot from yeah. groups like Friends of Chicago River, yep. Urban Rivers, groups like for the Alliance for the Great Lakes, mm-hmm. and groups like Urban Current. Current is doing a really amazing project right now that's giving uh, visibility to the river that's never been done before. Tell me about the, the H2Now program. Sure. What is it? Why did Current do it? And, and where is it at now? Well, before I start, at the end, I want to ask you if you know of any companies that have been incentivized for the, what would you call it, stick and carrots? carrots and I've never heard that term before. Yeah, so that really I think interests jo- me. Joseph Nye was the political scientist that, uh, that came up with it. But it's just the, the whole idea of like carrot, of like, you know, giving someone something to eat, an mm. incentive to do something. Okay. Or a stick is like, uh, you're going to get beat with a stick if you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so more of just an analogy. Um, okay. We could spend a, a whole nother. Uh, Another podcast on that. So we'll- love learning from people like you, my friend. But yeah. um, H2 Now Chicago, I have to do the plug here www.h2nowchicago.org is what we call a weather app for water quality. So basically, until September 2nd of this year, there was no way for a resident or visitor in the US and likely the world, we haven't found anything too comparable to it to basically say, hey, I want to go kayak, I want to go swim, I want to go fish in a urban waterway or or any waterway and be able to tell what the water quality was right then and there. Comparable to when you wake up, you turn your phone on real quick, what, 30 seconds max, check the weather, and that basically informs your day and how you're going to dress and operate for the rest of the day, right? So we've created this real-time water quality tool that allows people to check the microbial pollution levels of the Chicago River in real time. It was 
spurred or um, inspired by the Arc Great Rivers vision, which was a document created, gosh, what, six or so years ago by other stakeholders like the Metropolitan Planning Council, Friends of the Chicago River, MWRD, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. For those of you who are unaware, it's, Say a, that five times it's, a, yeah, it's a mouthful, <laughs> but they're our wastewater utility in Chicago and one of the largest ones in the world, actually. So a big player in that regard. And a few other stakeholders. They came together, uh, if I remember correctly, more or less assembled or uh, really driven by former Mayor Rahm Emanuel's request to help make the Chicago River uh, Chicago's second waterfront. It, it, he recognized that it was basically a an asset that had been super neglected. Uh, it, you mentioned due to Chicago's, uh, let's call it rough, treatment of the river. It was not being utilized to its optimal capabilities. So we saw a lot of socioeconomic and environmental benefits that could come from just a uh, revitalization. So this document set forth, I can't even tell you how many, but a handful of goals for the coming decades, 2020, 2030, 2040, and maybe even up to 2050. And they were ranged in everything from real-time microbial pollution, which is one of the earliest ones in 2020, which is the one we've honed in on for this project, to swimming, I believe, in 2030 or 2040, to anything you can imagine that would pertain to a better river, right? And we were on pace to complete that and meet that 2020 goal, check it off the list, and lo and behold, COVID hit. So we got delayed a little over a year for obvious reasons, and... Um, after some uh, some hard work, we were able to launch in September of this year. I guess I need to have a or make a caveat here. The probes, if you're listening to this between November and April of 2021 to 2022, are currently offline. They are hibernating for the winter because they're solar powered and there simply is not enough sunlight in Chicago during these winter months to power them. They will go back on again in the early spring. Are they still um, out there? No, we've taken them in to clean them off because things like invasive zebra mussels and quagga mussels have attached themselves to it, other other forms. And also conditions in the river get a little harsh with our potential polar vortices yeah. and uh, just other varying uh, environmental hazards. So they're hibernating. We also tune them up basically because after a long season in the river, calibration varies and, and we need to just um, ad make adjustments more or less. Yep. So we set forth on this project a little over three years ago when we received initial funding from the Chicago Community Trust, accumulating, we've accumulated a gosh, over 20 partners now from five different technologies, which we are testing on them. And this gets into your question about water innovation. So not only is this, it's meeting several or all of our pillars to our mission, right? Those three points I brought up earlier, but it's uh, so it's it's addressing a, a pressing water challenge, which is basically providing the public with a transparent and easy way to look at water quality to better inform and educate their decision about how and when to interact with the river. And it's also providing this data to basically any stakeholder in the city who might want to use it to, I don't know, create new environmental policy, evaluate real estate efforts along the river, evaluate the microbial pollution levels as they relate to people interacting with it at different times. Like it, it is a, a uh, open source tool. And it's also serving as this testbed platform. I shouldn't say testbed platform, a test platform to evaluate these novel technologies. The key one I would say is the Proteus probes from the UK, which are the primary piece of tech that is providing us with this real-time water quality data in the first place. And why this is important basically is because 
There are a lot of water problems, like you said. There are a lot of innovators out there trying to solve these water problems, which is friggin' awesome. But a lot of times just saying, hey, my tech works isn't going to sell your piece of tech to an investor, to a giant corporation who might want to help commercialize it. They need to test it out in a real world scenario, i.e. a pilot project like this. And so that is what this is serving as. We are evaluating the tech to help our innovators with that big milestone. And then with the end users who might be interested to basically allow them to make a more informed potential investment decision should they want to move forward with any of these. And it's really exciting because we're addressing so many different problems and priorities for us in this one particular effort, Mm. which actually just got another round of funding for 2020, which we're very excited about. So we will be continuing on with this and basically trying to decide, do we add more probes to the river? Do we add more sensors to basically give people a more holistic understanding of the water? Because remember, we're just doing microbial pollution now, Mm. and there's a lot of other contaminants in water, heavy metals, emerging contaminants like PFAS and PFOA or microplastics or pharmaceuticals to nutrients and phosphates. Yeah. So this is this is a pilot. It's it's only measuring a certain water quality indicator, but there's a lot of room to grow. We could go to other cities. Lot lot to do. So, so for the average Joe, this is important because it gives them a like you said, a weather app for water quality to understand that maybe today I will go swimming. Maybe I will go kayaking or Mm -hmm. maybe this is a good day to go and and go fishing. Or is that kind of the idea of how the general population would utilize an app like this or a data like this? So what I just described, some of you might have just had your eyes glaze over, right? Because it gets complicated pretty quickly. And when you're looking at the raw data, it is super confusing. And we knew that we basically needed to create a, a platform that had a tool that Joe Schmo, who has no background in biology or chemistry or engineering, could easily look at and say, oh, okay, I understand this. I'm going to go kayaking because the gauge on the homepage is blue. It says good. That means it's probably pretty safe. Or, oh, conversely, it's on the dark brown side of the gauge and it says high caution. I'm going to avoid that because that probably doesn't look great. So communicating this data was like probably one of the largest, if not the largest hurdle we faced because mm. we had to simplify this pretty complex story into a manner that could be easily understood by anybody. Yeah. And we knew that most people visiting the site probably were just going to go to the, the landing page, look at the gauge and sign off. So that was the number one priority. And then for anybody else, a researcher, a citizen scientist, somebody like yourself, who might want to understand what tech we're we're testing, the background, who's involved, what partners are doing what, we've got all that additional context for you to explore elsewhere on the website. But the priority was that top quarter of the site on the homepage with the gauges and the bright colored information that would tell you basically if the river is doing all right or not. Yeah. And I like how you shocked about too about this data is great but most people won't understand it and i joke about within my my job at darley i often find myself working between engineers that try and overcomplicate stuff oh yeah and users that want a red or a green button yep and i think that there sometimes there's confusion on what innovation is and and what i want to encourage everyone listening to is that there's a lot of room for innovation across the hardware space across the software space but especially on communicating data in a way that's actionable. Yeah. I think that actionable insights is one of the most important things for people 
and I'd like to and then kind of parlay that into a next question about, you know, why, because where else can this type of actionable insights for real-time water data be used? You alluded to some of it and you, and you mentioned there's new funding, but mm-hmm. like these types of actionable insights have only been made possible because of the new technology and all this coming together. But where else can this actionable insights bring value to besides the general Joe Schmo, um, you mentioned real estate, but like, yeah. you know, is this something that can be put on every single river and every single water source to provide early warning detection for you know, potential uh, some sort of illegal discharge? Is it something like, where else do you see this as something that can really bring value to society? So you mentioned the river got reversed 100 years ago because it was an open sewer killing people through toxic pollution in Lake Michigan. That's became less of a problem. Things like the Clean Water Act in the 70s got passed. And since then, water quality in the Chicago River and elsewhere has improved a lot. The big stat that a lot of folks throw out is what our colleagues at Friends of the Chicago River have discovered is that in the 70s, there were seven fish species in the Chicago River. Now there's close to 80. So take that as you will. Likely means water quality is a lot better, right? However, there's still a big stigma in the city and probably most city rivers that it's gross. I don't want to touch it. We're trying to break that because through the data we've collected, we found on most days, it's probably a lot better than you think. There are totally horrible days because we might get too much rain and our water infrastructure gets inundated and basically all that raw sewage you flush down your toilet and drain at home at work and that what gets caught up in the uh, sewer outside all combines and gets dumped into the river untreated, basically. Those are bad days. We want to notify people of that. But we also want them to realize that on most days, this is an awesome asset. Go enjoy it. And so we think and believe that a tool like this, the transparency that this provides, will drive more people to the kayaking companies, to the riverfront restaurants and shops. It will serve as an asset to basically bolster the river-based economy. And not just in the affluent white communities of downtown where the main stem is or the north branch, but the communities of color on the south branch. And what's basically been a neglected or more so neglected branch of the Chicago River. So we think this has a lot of potential and can really help all of Chicago, not just the areas that have received the most attention and investment to this point in time. Well, it's an amazing feat and you you guys have had such amazing progress towards this. So kudos to you and the entire team at Kern and everyone's gone into it. And I'm stoked to see where it goes within Chicago, but also seeing how this can cascade to other places around the country and around the world. Heck yeah. It's awesome. So wanted to now bring it back to the last pillar you talked about. And I pulled out and actually a, a book, or actually more of a kind of an information packet that I got at WebTech. We talked about water innovation, talked about the blue economy. Sometimes water is a bit subjective. It's like, what are we talking about? Water in the ocean, mm-hmm. water in my sink, water that I drink for lunch, for my coffee. Like, you know, it's super subjective and there's so much within the quote unquote blue economy. But one thing I'd love to get your take on is the whole idea of water equity uh-huh. um, and particularly water innovation around this. And and I in particular have done a lot of work within Flint, Michigan, Newark, mm-hmm. Houston, doing different things to, to take off-the-shelf technology and deploy it in certain ways to help communities that have been impacted by dilapidated infrastructure and providing point of entry and point of use water treatment. Sure. But what's your take on how we can harness 
wider innovation in this blue economy to continue to create a more equitable future, regardless of your socioeconomic status? Oh, man, that's a great question. I mean, if you look at Chicago, for example, right, we have the most lead piping of any U.S. city. If I remember correctly, I have enough that it will it could stretch from Chicago to L.A. back up to Green Bay and back. It's thousands of miles. It's going to cost, what, four to five billion dollars to address. Likely most of it will be ripped up. Just Chicago. Just Chicago. It was mandated that lead piping was used until the 70s. Like you had to build water piping out of lead. We were the last city to do that, to like say no. So it's there. It's a big problem. It's impacting communities of color and uh, just those with less means more so than the white communities of Chicago and more affluent areas. And that's having negative impacts that range from mental development in young people to what kidney failure. And that all obviously adds up into, you know, preventing people from getting optimal jobs or moving to better areas or improving their own neighborhoods because they have their own health issues to focus on and work and, and pay attention to. So I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for novel technologies to solve really friggin' big problems like this that right now seem so daunting and are so slow moving and they're still negatively impacting people every day. What's an efficient way to detect lead pipes, remove them, maybe coat them with a new material so they are basically rendered harmless forever or a very long time so that these communities that are being impacted can recoup and catch up with the rest of the city. And that, that's just, that's lead piping. There's Chicago's now seeing a lot in, with flooding due to climate change, right? What were almost 600 feet above sea level over 800 miles from the nearest oceanic coastline, but we're more likely to flood due to climate change in the next com- or in the coming decades than LA or New York because of precipitation, flooding river, flooding lake. We're, we were, Cement and asphalt. Yeah, river. impervious services. We were built in a swamp. So again, and this, what I just described, communities of color in low-income areas are going to be the ones who suffer the most, right? We have to figure out how do we deal with all this extra water we're going to have or, or actually have already. We've had, what, record spring flood events over the last few years, and that's only projected to get worse. How do we deal with this? A lot of, like, what, the Southwest has no water. Our problem, and like the problem with the Northeast, is we're going to have too much in the coming decades. So, that's going to take some real innovative thinking to address. What that solve is, I'm not sure. There are a lot of smaller steps people can take from, you know, rain barrels to planting native species versus grass in their potted or lawn areas. Uh, like you said, impervi- or ripping up impervious surfaces and substituting them for pervious surfaces like porous concrete. I'm full of cliches and I do believe in this where you hear that phrase death by a thousand cuts. But I, when I think yeah. about sustainability and think about what can be done, I, I also flip it and oh, I just made this up of I'm op- so aligned. opportunity by a thousand small things. I'm so aligned. I hate it when people say one person can't make a change. What a crock of shit. Like that is such BS because if you just think about yourself making that one act and then multiply that by a million, 10 million, a billion people – that adds up. I think it's also just by you taking action and seeing how they can make a domino effect of the people around you. And I mean, when you think about that microcosm, what can one person accomplish? It's like 
there you think about from your lifetime of the carbon footprint that you have like it's it's fairly substantial but then you think about again your ripple effect on others that's really where the one person can make an impact as well as then being proactive in terms of being part of the solution as in continuing to be active and joining the conversation and then also to innovators or, or technologists or to companies trying to push the boundaries trying to continue to do things that have not been done before and not just falling back to the whole phrase of this is the way we've always done it we'll continue to do it mm-hmm. and so that's where i i always try and look at my the world glass half full and i think it's unfortunately been easy for people to be a little bit pessimistic about. oh i mean these are super dark times and it you're oh my god it's gonna take some serious damn optimism to like see that light and not be super grim. So I, I, I heard of Elon Musk podcast. I forget who he was talking to, but it was talking oh. about like, you don't want to be that guy or that that girl, whomever that's just like always being like, oh man, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Like we're screwed. And like, like if you are in the plane that's going to crash, like you want to be there, like all of a sudden that's crashing. Like, yeah, I told you so. <laughs> it's like, I'd rather be fighting the like yeah. aggressively optimistic, but also balancing that with personal accountability, with aspects of, self-awareness of knowing who you are and trying to again not just put the whole world on your shoulders but working as a team and surrounding yourself with people who can who can bring you up and people have agency they have influence it doesn't matter how big their networks are if it's only a few people or if it's a few thousand i mean for example i became a vegan over what seven years ago and i know by just bringing it up i sound like one of those jerks I'm not a preachy vegan, I promise you. Next on that, that's that's impressive. I did it solely for sustainability purposes, and I don't push it upon anybody, but by being around my friends, my family, and then seeing that I can still maintain a healthy lifestyle, an active lifestyle by eating no meat and and dairy and whatnot, they've in turn reduced their consumption just for health benefits, for uh, their own environmental footprints because they're having kids and they want yeah. their kids to have a better world. So that's, that's pretty cool. And one, I can, one personal example is I've always found myself being the most vocal about sustainability in my family. I'm um, right. seven children. So the nature used by seven kids is not always <laughs> sustainable, um, uh. but my family used to have an addiction to bottle water. Oh um, yeah. And so then I initially I got the five gallon jugs and we would get those delivered, but then eventually my mom was pulling her hair out when the, the water delivery guy wasn't delivering the water, and then it was just cascading. But ultimately, when they replumbed the house, we got a two separate spigots and one that didn't go through the wire softener that then run through a filter, and now we have a point-of-use filter with natural nice. water that just goes through a simple little filter. Tastes great, and we'll fill them up and put them in the fridge, and you just got grab-and-go reusable bottle of water. Heck yeah, heck and, yeah. Yeah, those are the little things where, it, again, it's what impact does that have? I mean, it's, it's sort of planting a seed in different people's brain to just be conscious about the decision that they might make next Wednesday night or yep. whenever about being slightly more sustainable the next time. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's pretty darn impossible to live a 100% sustainable life buy from 100% sustainable companies, create a 100% sustainable company, but we can work towards being more sustainable. And I think that's what we should all strive for in every facet of our lives. And that's the big thing too, is not beating yourself up. Or there are times where I feel hypocritical. There's a lot of hypocrisy in this area. Yeah, Uh, You're talking about being vegan. I literally, today, my wife and I, we cooked a full turkey today. (laughs) (laughs) And eating some of that turkey, but I mean, it's like, well, you know, we meet for my wife and I for a couple days, but at the same time, I would be lying to to say that I 
do think about the dynamic of our industrialized meat production within America. And like, I am sometimes ambiguous or oblivious to the fact that, you know, I go to the store and I don't think about how that turkey or how that chicken or how that cow, yeah. the life of when it was born to what it went through to then ultimately again, like the fact that when it was killed and then processed and put on the shelf, like all I see is a finished product. Yeah. And I think it's, it's easy to as a general consumer but yeah, I think we can all be better, but I think it's also remembering to my earlier point to not beat yourself up. Yeah. We're all, we're producing carbon just by being here. This, this portable podcast machine that I'm using is consuming two batteries. Yep. We're inside of a building that's, that has lights on it. You know, we're wearing clothes right now that took a lot of energy to create yeah. and wash. So like we can't beat ourselves up, but I think it's just always striving to be a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of action as we're discovering each year that we can do. As we become smarter, more knowledgeable on just all the threats we face, don't get overwhelmed. Just do one little thing. Well, don't do one little thing. Do as many little things as you can. It will add up. Do one little thing a day. You think that's enough, though? I think if you, you, if think, you think about it, like sometimes I even started doing this new daily planner of like sometimes if I have 40 things in my to-do list, I'll like maybe just do one or two of them. But I'm trying to just do three big tasks a day. And really focus on those okay. little things. But if you think about it, if you just do one little thing, and of course, then it's ideally engineering that into your habits. I appreciate Yeah, making it a habit is big. Maybe, let's put it this way. I don't know if I agree with one. I want to say strive for more. Exactly. But let's say set goals. How about set, that? Yeah. Set goals. And, and engineer them. By yeah. And set them and ingrain them into your habits. Yeah. If you're doing it, it's, it's, sub, it's in your subconscious. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I know we're way over time here. No, we're, we're doing good. But <laughs> we're we'll, doing good. Know, we'll, we'll circle, we'll circle okay, around okay. with uh, just kind of final thoughts. I mean, uh, we've had a great conversation around water, water tech, water innovation, sustainability, lifestyle, whatnot. But what would be a, a final thought or challenge that you have for people? I guess it would be that you don't need to be a scientist, an engineer, somebody super technical to work in sustainability. You can come from a financial background, an accounting background, a marketing background like me. If you care about this, there are a lot of businesses out there, organizations who need to operate and need essential individuals to complete those everyday tasks to succeed and thrive. And they need people like you. So if you really care about this and are thinking about a career change, want to get into it, I would say there's a lot of opportunity out there. This is probably the most exciting sector and fastest growing there. I would say it's fair to say too, like we're experiencing the biggest revolution in business in human history. And we have to, to make things more circular in their operation. And so jobs are becoming abundant. Also, I guess related to this, the science and the information out there is moving so fast. It is so hard to keep up on what is the latest in sustainability. So I would say in that regard, we're talking about don't get overwhelmed by the negativity and whatnot. Don't get discouraged because you feel like you can't learn everything you need to about sustainability. Focus on like a product, a company, a sector that you really find interesting or care about and just worry about that. You're never going to know everything that's going on in sustainability because it's so damn much. I only know probably a drop in the bucket. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you would probably agree in that yeah, regard. Absolutely. There are times when I feel like I'm just like <laughs> a dog chasing my tail. <laughs> but I think the, to your point, the most important thing is to stay curious. Yeah. You don't need to 
be an expert in everything. You definitely want to hone your skills. And yep. I've hired a few people within recent years. And frankly, my most important thing that I look for is that they are hungry, driven, yep. Yep. and that they are curious and willing to learn. And I, it does help to have good communication skills. Definitely. Being able to communicate. I would also, within that, finding your own medium. It could be writing, could yeah. be audio, could be video, could be in person, could be a combination of all those things. So that's one, Gary V, you know, when he always talks about, continue to tinker and find your voice. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's definitely no shortage of passionate people in sustainability, which I always am just amazed by because I've, of the my past experience i've i've certainly met a lot of people who just go through their day day to day because they have to and obviously i don't know their own respective stories why they're doing it but it sure seems like in sustainability a lot more people just give a damn and really enjoy this work yeah. and are driven more than well, others it is important to not just stand on a soapbox and yell and scream but also try and support that with solutions and the right organizations and the right movements and mm-hmm. they always remember to do it respectful. Yeah. Um, I think we, we can get, it's easy to get frustrated at yeah. times, but you gotta, you gotta fight through some of those times that are frustrating when people aren't listening and, and just continuing to do it in a respectful and, and logical way. Yeah. And I guess the last thing I'll say is in terms of sustainability, if you see a problem, go do something about it. It can be replacing led light bulbs, or old incandescent light bulbs with LED light bulbs. It could be figuring out how you revolutionize the value chain at your company. There's a lot of ways to do it. Don't just stand around and say, oh, that's too bad, or wait for somebody else to do it. The most fun I've had in my career, the most excitement has been simply from going out and doing. And there are plenty of problems we need to address in that regard. So I would say good luck to you all. Well said. Yeah, the one I think about too when people are like, where do I start? I always say, think about what really pisses you off. Yeah. What do you think about in shower right before you go to bed? And start that, use that as your North Star and start there. Uh And then you can start reverse engineering. I mean, what groups are there out there? I mean, join some clubhouse or Twitter spaces and kind of just listen and be part of these groups and see who's doing what and volunteer yourself as an intern or just do something to get involved with organizations that are already doing it because chances are there is someone or something already working towards it so just that's a good uh, rule of thumb to get after it and i guess final thing is i want to give uh, kudos and shout out to depaul thank you to you george for reconnecting me to depaul after i got my mba here and a proud adjunct professor here and teaching another class here this spring and just forever grateful for for depaul university and Look forward to ongoing uh, water and DePaul and all things innovation, sustainability chats with you. Thanks for having me, Kev. Go Blue Demons. And I look forward to seeing some of the great work your listeners do. Thanks, man. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.